0: you open your Bibles with me to Genesis 42, Genesis 42, and our transform transformational truth this week was forgiveness is a decision to release a person from their offense, and that's what we're looking at, and we're seeing such an example of that when we see Joseph When he finally sees his brothers, he has a spirit of forgiveness towards them. As our story continues, a worldwide famine has struck. The situation is so dire that people are literally starving to death. The only country with food is Egypt. Now this is due to God's hand on Joseph as we saw last week. Just as we saw in Potiphar's house, just as we saw in the prison, just as we saw in the palace, the Lord was with Joseph, and his favor was resting on him. Years ago, beloved, God taught me this truth. I was a young mom with two little babies really quite new in the faith, but I was studying about Joseph and God showed me this glorious truth that in seasons of rest, that I needed to store up my barns to fill up my silo with God's word so that when seasons of distress came and I had no idea what would ultimately come in my life, But when those seasons of distress come, that I would be able to live on that grain I had already stored up in my barn. Beloved, all of us, all of us fall to the idea, the incorrect idea, that because we love God, nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. And if we don't get that bit of erroneous theology corrected, when the crisis comes, we're going to fall apart. And we're going to think God doesn't love us. I haven't read the scripture enough. I haven't studied enough. I haven't done enough. I haven't given enough. I don't like to serve in the nursery. And when I do, it's with a begrudging heart. And I sure don't want to work with the teenagers. But I'll even do that. Because all of us, beloved, all of us somehow believe that if we love God enough, crisis will never come to our life. And those of us who have walked with God, you're groaning. It's because you know better. Those of us who have walked with God long enough know that's simply not the truth. The truth is that when those seasons of suffering come, God's in the midst of them standing strong on our behalf. And because of that, we can endure. But beloved, we must know God's word. We must know God's word. Or we will fall to the error of our thinking. Well, the first thing I want to talk to you about is what I call the famine. So if you'll look with me in Genesis chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. Now Jacob saw there was grain in Egypt and Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? He said, behold, I have heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some from us from that place so that we may live and not die. And then the ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob would not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall them. Now the famine had extended all the way to Canaan, affecting Jacob and his family. And beloved, this is a solemn reminder that God's people are not immune to suffering. John Phillips writes this, God's people have no unconditional guarantee they will escape The floods and the famines, the tornadoes and earthquakes, the horrors of war and rebellion that descend from time to time upon the world. How true that is. And beloved, as I told you, the older I've gotten, the more I've come to understand that God in his sovereignty, in his providential care allows bad things to happen to God's people. And beloved, I cannot unravel all of this for you. I can't even explain it all to you. But this much I know. God's a good, good father. And he only does good. And he is entirely in control of every detail of our lives. So it's with great difficulty that I even tell you this, but during the summer months, Mr. Stockdale and I were allowed to return to international travel. Our great passion is teaching the Word of God. I love to teach women, obviously. Uh, we love to go over into the uh, international travels to teach pioneer evangelism uh, we uh, and, and other things, marriage conferences and so forth. And so we were able to go to Southeast Asia Back in May, we were just so stunned that God would even let us. It was a very emotional trip. And every time I would get ready to teach, I would have this knot in my throat. Because there were days when I wondered, would God ever give us back this season in our life or allow us to do this thing we love so very, very much? Well, we were home for about five weeks, and then we had been invited to go over to Africa. We were going to be in Kenya for two weeks teaching pioneer evangelism. Then Craig and I were going to travel on into Uganda, and we were going to do a marriage conference and some other teaching and training there. We were so excited about it. And so we fly over to Kenya, a trip that took us 26 hours. We arrived in the middle of the night to our hotel. We got up to our room. It was about 1 in the morning. And we were trying to get all their stuff settled and get ready. We would fly out early the next morning and move on to a a city and town, in country rather, where we would be teaching. And of all things, of all things, Mr. Stockdale slipped on a marble floor and he injured his back so severely that the rest of the trip was spent with him in terrible pain. We were able to get a doctor in to see him. He had a CAT scan. There was nothing broken. We're very grateful for that. But he had a terrible muscle injury that was so painful. And so he spent those Three weeks in Africa uh, on pain meds, on muscle relaxers, seeing physical therapists, massage therapists, just trying to be able to complete the ministry God had given us to do. And thankfully, the Lord just showed up strong on our behalf. Now, of all things, he has been in uh, physical therapy ever since. He goes twice a week. On Friday, on Friday morning, this past Friday, I was at my desk studying. My husband had gone out to look at a piece of equipment he had been working on and uh, or working with, and he went out there, and he was going to step up on the outside of the piece of equipment, and it had rained the night before, and the step was wet, and he didn't know it, and he fell, and y'all, he broke his back. That was my reaction. We had uh, uh, took him to the uh, doctor, they said, definitely broken. Uh, Sent him for a CAT scan yesterday morning. We're waiting to hear the outcome. We're not exactly sure the next step. Beloved, if I did not believe that God was sovereign and that he is holy, And that he is righteous and that he is true and full of goodness and grace upon grace upon grace. If I didn't believe that I was operating under the favor of God upon my life, this would have done me in. And while I'm very sorry it happened, really I am, Craig and I are doing what we've learned to do when life falls apart and that's lean Hard into Jesus. We believe he's the author and finisher of our faith. And as we fix our eyes upon him, when we walk through these seasons, we cannot understand or even explain. And frankly, I could hardly even believe it. The doctor said it so casually, it it, it just sucked my breath away. And after that, I didn't hear hardly a thing he said. It was sort of like, wah, 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 wah. It was like, What just happened? But I tell you, even as I have worked on this lesson over and over again, God has reminded me that in every moment, God is faithful. Not just when life is good, but even when life is not. Just when we get what we have prayed for, And even when we get what we have not, even when we expect God to work a miracle, and even when He does not, God is good. And this is a lesson. You see, that Joseph has learned over and over and over again that God is faithful in the pit, in the prison. And even in the palace of an ungodly monarch. He's good. He's good. He wants you and I to trust in him. And walk by faith and not sight. And look up to him. The Bible says that in him we move and have our being. And he is... He is attentive to every detail of our lives. Well, let's get back to the story of Joseph. And so a famine has come, and it's very severe in the land. And Jacob says this to his boys, Why are you staring at one another? Behold, I've heard there's grain in Egypt, so go down there and buy some for us, that we will not die, so that we might live and not die. Now, it's hard to read tone in a text. (laughs) And I don't want to lean so heavily on my sanctified imagination that I'm reading something into the Scripture but it sounds to me like he's a little snippy with his voice. I mean, it sounds like he's saying, what is wrong with you people? We are starving here. Look around at all the mouths we have to feed. What in the world are we going to do? And why are you standing here? Why aren't you out there looking to get us food from Egypt? Now, you remember that Egypt, when they sold Joseph into the caravan, Egypt was where he was headed. And I think the very idea for them to go to Egypt and be forced to face up to what they've done some 20 years ago but never come clean about, I think that stalled them. But Jacob's tone, his words seem harsh and unkind and a bit critical. And it sort of makes me wonder, again, we cannot tell from the text, but it just makes me wonder, was he not believing the story the sons brought him? Did he not just have a little bit of suspicion that it had not gone down with Joseph exactly as they had said? And that that caused him to deal harshly with these boys? I don't know, but it seems like the text implies that. I'm gonna tell you a story. I think I heard this first from Dr. Rogers and he said it was a preacher's story and I looked it up on uh, Google because they know everything over there. And uh, (laughs) they said that this was an antidote, but here's the story and I think it applies here. There was a woman who was traveling Europe apart from her husband. He was going to uh, stay behind and take care of business and she found a beautiful diamond necklace. And so she wrote to him a telegraph, and the telegraph said, Have found a wonderful bracelet. Stop. Price, $75,000. Stop. May I buy it? Stop. When the husband read that telegram, he ran immediately down to the telegraph office, and he said, send my wife this very terse response, no comma, price too high. However, when the telegraph operator sent it, he left the comma out. So it read, no price too high. So, of course, his wife, thinking she was highly favored and treasured by her husband, ran to buy the $75,000 diamond bracelet. When he got back in touch with her, he was horrified as to what happened. So it's hard sometimes to tell the tone. She thought she was getting a loving response from her husband and acted on that. Well, we don't know exactly what Jacob's tone was, but he seemed to be very concerned about getting food for the family. However, he would not allow Benjamin to go. And he said, I'm afraid harm will befall him. That makes me think he's thinking back to what has happened to Joseph, look at verse four. Jacob did not send jo- Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, "I'm afraid harm will befall him." Verse five. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain. Among those who were coming, for the famine in the land was Saphir in Canaan. Also, now Joseph was the ruler of the land. We saw that last week. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother came and bowed down to him with his their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. He said, where do you come from? And they said, well, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brother, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had had about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to look at the undefeated, undefended parts of our land. And they said to him, oh, no, my Lord. But your servants have come to buy food. Now check this out, verse 11. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. (laughs) Your servants aren't spies. We're honest men. I'm telling you, Joseph had the opportunity at this moment to fall on his brothers and send them off to the cruelest kind of death. We know that Joseph has already allowed God to work forgiveness in his heart and in his life. And he said to them, no, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And they said, well, your servants are 12 brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. They had gotten so used to referring to Joseph as dead to their father That it had become so. Plus they probably thought after this many years as a slave, he probably already had died. Joseph said to them, and he must have been thinking how funny, the one who's no longer alive is standing here in front of you. But we move on. He says, you are spies. By this you will be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of you that he may go for your brother. And while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there's truth in you. But if not by the life of Pharaoh, you are surely spies. So they put them all together in prison for three days. Now I think Joseph thought he would let those boys spend a little time together in prison very afraid, very concerned about what the outcome would be, to see what their conclusion might be. Were they going to try to trick him? Were they going to make up another story? Or perhaps he could discern if their hearts had truly been changed. Verse 18, Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men... Let one of your brothers be confined in your prison, but as the rest of you go, carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me so that your words will be verified and you will not die. And they did so. So the famine is great. And the brothers have gone to get grain, but they haven't taken Benjamin. And Joseph, the long lost brother, doesn't reveal himself at this point, but he tells them they must bring um, the brother Benjamin back in order to get more grain. And then they said to one another, look in verse 21, and this is what I call the fault. They said to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother. Because we saw the distress of our soul when he pleaded for us, yet we didn't listen. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, did I not tell you do not sin against the boy? But you would not listen. And now the reckoning for his blood. Has come. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept, but when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey home, and it was done for them. Talk about grace. Upon grace, Joseph has fully and freely forgiven them and now he's looking for ways to bless them before he reveals himself to them. So they loaded up their donkeys with their grain and they departed from there as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place. He saw the money. And behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, my money has been returned. And behold, it's even in my sack. And their hearts sank. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? They're thinking, now we're going to be tried as thieves as well as spies. Because the money was there. So that we've talked about now is the famine. And we've talked about um, the, uh, what was my second one that we talked about? We got the, uh, um, excuse me, the fault. The brother, thank you. The brothers have finally admitted they were at fault in this situation. And so uh, as they are talking among themselves, They don't realize that Joseph can understand them. And as they're talking, they are confessing their part in Joseph's uh, being sold as a slave. So the next thing I want to talk to you about is what I call the fear. And because of the shortness of the time, we're going to have to kind of move quickly on through this. So look at, uh, so I'll just tell you that while Simeon is held hostage, the boys go back to their father and tell him everything that's happened. And they said they're going to have to return with Benjamin in order to get Simeon back, in order to be able to buy more food and He says, absolutely not. Simeon is not going to be, or excuse me, Benjamin is not going to be allowed to go because who knows what will happen then. So the brothers return, finally, when the famine has gotten so severe. Look in verse 43. I call this section the fear. The famine was severe in the land. And so it came about when they had finished eating the grain, which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little food. They've eaten up the grain they brought back. And, and now Jacob can see that they have got to have more grain. And so he consents. Uh, to allow the sons to go back and to take Benjamin with them. Uh, So he says to his boys, take, in verse 13 of of chapter 43, take your brother also and arise, return to the man, and may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your other brother, that is Simeon, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Verse 15. So the men took this present. That is, they had gathered up things to uh, take back to Joseph as a gift. They took double the money in their hand and Benjamin. Then they rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Now look what happens. Verse 16. This is why I call this the fear. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the house steward, Bring the men into my house and slay an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. We've seen grace upon grace. And now we see Joseph preparing a banqueting table for his brothers. So the men did, as Joseph said, and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. Now in that culture, often there were dungeons in the homes, in the houses of very prominent people. And so they are thinking when they've been brought there under the guise of a meal, that what's going to happen to them is they're going to be thrown into the dungeon and perhaps killed. So verse 18, the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money that was returned in our sack the first time that we are being brought in that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for our slaves with our donkeys. They seem to be concerned about their animals at this point. So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. And he said, oh. My Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food and it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of the sack. Our money in full. So we brought it back in our hand. We've also brought other money in our hand to buy food. We did not know, we do not know who put our money in the sacks. But the steward said, be at ease. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks I had your money and then he brought Simeon out to them. These boys must have been so confused at all of this very relieved but so confused. I wonder if they still thought it was perhaps was a trick of a uh, Joseph to bring them there, and they had been very, very afraid. The last thing I want to talk to you about is what I call the feast, verse 24. Then the man brought the men into Joseph's house, and he gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave his donkeys, gave their donkeys fodder. And so they prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon, for they have heard they were there to eat a meal. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present, which was in their hand, and they bowed to the ground before him. Then he asked them about their welfare. Is your father well, of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is home alive. And they bowed down in homage. As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, Now, Joseph and Benjamin had been born to Jacob by Rachel. Rachel was his favorite. Joseph was his favorite. When Joseph was gone believing he was dead, I believe Jacob took much of the favor that he had assigned to Joseph and began lavishing it on Benjamin. And by the way, have any of you considered how very odd it was that the brothers were very mad at Joseph for being the favored child and not mad at Jacob about it? I don't know why that is, but... They turned on Joseph. So he says to them, your father's well, yes. Yes, he is. He lifted up his eyes. Verse 29, he saw Benjamin. Oh, don't you know? Don't you know his heart was soaring? His mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And they said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Verse 30, Joseph hurried out. For he was deeply stirred over his brother and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chambers and he wept there. Then he washed his face and he came out and he controlled himself and said, serve the meal. Verse 32, they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for it was loathsome to the Egyptians. And now they were seated before him, that is Joseph, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment, I should say so. Verse 34, he took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And so they they feasted and they drank freely with him. What an ending to this part of the story. It began with a famine and it ended with a feast. Beloved, throughout the story of Jason, of Jason, sorry, Joseph, I'm a bit distracted. It's been a very long uh, weekend. Uh, so uh, Joseph now, Joseph, um, is, uh, has brought them into the table. And we've seen him over and over again. He's considered to be a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Now you will recall that in the Old Testament, the name of Jesus is never mentioned. But he is portrayed throughout the Old Testament as a type or shadow beginning all the way back there in Genesis chapter 3, 15. When God declared that the head crusher was coming. And that he would crush the head of the enemy. So Christ was prophesied from the beginning and all the way through there's these little glimpses of him and his character. And here in Joseph's story we see so many of them. For instance, when the boys were returning the first time to the father, he returned their money and gave them extra provisions. Grace upon grace. Joseph, as a picture of Christ, extended forgiveness to them before they ever asked for it. He chose to forgive. The scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait until his brothers got their lives together and then forgave them. Oh, no, no, no. This had been worked over a period of years, this deep, deep, Forgiveness. He didn't know if he would ever even see his brothers or not. But he chose by an act of faith to forgive his brothers. The scripture says that we are to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven us. So again, we see this Christ-like imagery in Joseph. And then my favorite, and I could not get past this, was the feast. Beloved, one day, one day, all of God's people are going to be gathered together at the end of the age for the marriage supper of the Lamb. When a feast will be prepared and there will be those in attendance from every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every people group. Oh, from the greatest to the smallest, to the greatest to the least, we'll be gathered together once for all time in the presence of Christ. And we will sit at the table and banquet with him a meal he has been preparing for years until we're finally all gathered home. All gathered home. And he will wipe away every tear. And there's not going to be sorrowing or suffering. No more cancer. No more death. No more hurt. No more heartache. We will be home where we belong. Where we belong. Beloved, if you are here today and you have met God on his terms of faith and repentance. Oh, beloved. Don't you understand that God loves you so much? He has forgiven you of your many transgressions and He welcomes you in. He says, Come, come to the table and dine. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this message, for this picture of Christ through Joseph. And Father, I pray even as we go from this place. That we will be ever mindful of the goodness of God. Would you surround these precious women with your favor as a shield? And would you bless them? Would you bless them? Father, would you encourage them that they belong to Christ? And in Christ, in Christ, we have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. To you, we give all. Of the glory and all of the praise forever and ever, world without end. God bless you all.